Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hello and welcome to our Thirsty Podcast here on the Raised with Jesus podcast series. Uh, my name is Jeremy Lightning, and I am here with the prophet Zechariah. Uh, our, our guest today is Mr. Ryan Finkbeiner. Uh, he's a principal at uh, Mount Lebanon in Milwaukee, one of our schools there. Uh, welcome, Mr. Finkbeiner. Ah, oh, glad to have you here. Please call me Ryan. Ah, will do. Uh, hey, so, so uh, hey, there's, Ryan, there's I got a question. There's a question that uh, Zechariah needs to uh, ask every one of our guests. Yep. So, how are you related to Jeremy Lightnin or Abby Lightnin? Uh, you know, I I heard that this was one of the first thing you guys did. And I will tell you, uh, I am not related to a lot of people in the wells directly. I married into a lot of relation, uh, but I'm the first person in my family to be a called worker. And um, so I married a Wessendorf. So I'll let you take the connection from there. Jeremy, you or Abby have to be related to a Wessendorf somewhere along the line. No, but uh, no, we're not. But we, oh. uh, I went to prep with a bunch of Wessendorf. So who which one is yours uh her name is lisa so she might be she's a little bit older than maybe you are yeah no she was uh i think we were maybe in a music she was a senior when i was a freshman i think we were maybe in a musical together gotcha gotcha so i don't know if that makes we related but there's at least a connection uh so tell us about your ministry there at uh, mount lebanon how long have you been principal there uh, this will be the start of my eighth year at Mount Lebanon, uh, and it's been a—it's been quite a journey. Um, Mount Lebanon is uh, in the north side of Milwaukee. Uh, it used to be the northwest side, but now it's kind of north central on 60th and Hampton. Um, we actually operate two campuses. Um, we have about 250 kids, um, and. Uh, we do everything in our power to connect church and school together. Uh, that's one of our, our big pushes is just really bringing the gospel uh, to the center of everything we do. And uh, we have a, a mission statement. I, I mean, I could go on for a long time uh, about Mount Lebanon. Uh, I mean, we could talk about the, the uh, academic stuff, the, the spiritual stuff, but God has been really, really good to Mount Lebanon, brought some pretty amazing people to work here, um, teachers and pastors and um, we boil it all down to making disciples of Christ, uh, heirs of eternity, and servant leaders for the community. That is our vision statement. So, uh, what is like the racial makeup of your of your uh, school, and then what is the racial makeup of your church? Oh, Peter, Peter Hagen, please edit this later. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I did not. I, I maybe maybe it's my computer, but I did not hear that. Okay, neither of us heard that. Uh, what, what's the what's the racial makeup of your school and then your church as well? Uh, yeah, so we're on the north side of Milwaukee, so um, predominantly African American, um, some Hispanic uh, students, uh, some Asian students as well, but vast majority are African American. Uh, and our congregation is 
a transition where it's a congregation in transition, uh, predominantly um, Caucasian. And what we're trying to do by connecting the church and school is to bring the school families and the church families under one roof as much as we possibly can, which is where a lot of our efforts go as a, as a ministry. Yeah, the reason I was asking that question, the reason I was asking that question is just because I can, I, I know the school and I know the area, and a, a lot of our schools, kind of like ours uh, here in Racine, has uh, that we're, uh, we have a lot of different skin colors in the school, but we haven't been very good at bringing uh, different races and different skin colors, different cultures into the church. And I was just wondering how Mount Lebanon has been at doing that. Yeah, I mean, this is this is what we wrestle with all the time. Um, you know, I I started working in Milwaukee uh, in choice schools in the early mid two thousands, and people were trying to wrestle with that question: How do we have this school that is growing, uh, full of kids, um, bringing them Jesus every day in the classrooms? How do we bridge the gap and take, especially our families who are not churched uh, or underchurched? and transition them to word and sacrament in the pews on Sunday. Um, and we're, I mean, one of the things that I love about Mount Lebanon is that they are willing to try anything. Uh, and that's kind of the spirit we have here. We don't know exactly what the, the recipe is, but we know that at the center of every interaction that we want to have with our families is the gospel. Um, Cause we know if we can bring the whole, bring the gospel in, we'll let the Holy spirit do the other work. But, I mean, we've, we're, we're trying new things every year to try to bridge that gap and bring the two families together, church and school. Uh, Jeremy, you got a question? You, did you mention where you were before this? No, I didn't. Uh, do you want me to go into that? Please. Yeah, so prior, this will be my eighth year at Mount Lebanon. Uh, prior to that, I was serving as a principal uh, in Maryland, about 11 miles from uh, the White House in the one Wells grade school we have in Maryland. I was there as a principal and teacher for four years. Uh, prior to that, I was at St. Marcus here in Milwaukee, uh, teaching in the middle school. And then uh, after graduating from college, my wife and I actually did some mission work in the Czech Republic. Um, we did some volunteer work through Thoughts of Faith in the Czech Republic. Ha. I, that, that I, wow. I saw you there. <laughs> at which one of those places? Uh, at, in the Czech Republic. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say hi? Yeah, actually, I think I, now that I remember, I danced with Lisa. No, I didn't dance with Lisa. Uh, the other American, uh, when we were, uh, uh, the seminary from Leipzig came to see the mission in, in the Czech Republic there. And we, we kind of had a little conference with the, uh, the, the pastors at that, at that mission and the, um, oh, I can't remember their names now. I think one was in last, had the last name of Grubbs. Yep. Um, and, and we, and we, we went out to eat at that, uh, Pilsen, Pilsner, Pilsner Urquell brewery, I think. Yes. Where the original Pilsen beer was brewed in the middle ages. Yes. Yeah. You probably ate down in the cellar. Yeah. yeah. You, you, that was where we saw you. Yeah. I, 
And that could have very well been. Were, were you there with Nate Bodie? Yes. Yeah. Yep. So he he, 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 went, he went to he went to Michigan Lutheran Seminary with me. So I do I do I vaguely remember that. That okay. was like almost that was almost like twenty years ago. Yeah, I was I was the less forward, less talkative one. Mm. He and was the one you, that. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I say, look how you've changed. Now you're the host of a podcast. <laughs> I'm a co-host. I'm, I, I'm a co-host with the high and holy pontiff of Racine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Czech Republic was an awesome year. I mean, we really loved our time there. Um, for I mean, the, the mission work was really exciting. Definitely got us out of our comfort zone. And I think that's um, one of the kind of the themes I always felt like God is always preparing you for the next chapter in your life. And, uh, you know, we, we decided we wanted to step out of our comfort zone do the mission work overseas. And, um, that kind of prepared us for maybe working in a cross-cultural setting here in, in, uh, Milwaukee. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of fun in the Czech Republic. I'm sure you had fun when you were there. Yeah, that was, uh, well, that was very cross-cultural. Like it was enough to, I was living in Germany for a year and that was, uh, then, then we were in, the Czech Republic, and I didn't know any of the language. Um, but there, the funny thing was, there was a Russian student at our seminary, and he said that the Czech language was similar enough to Russian that he could pick up uh, most of it. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I do not have a lang- an ear for languages, which is good because I'm a teacher and not a pastor. But I was there for an entire year and really learned three things. Thank you, how to order a beer, and hello. Uh, which... I don't know if it's true in every culture, but in that culture, it was more than enough to survive. Sure. Sure. Uh, now, did you, um, were there, did we have any schools when you were in um, Maryland? That is that school still open? It is. Yeah, it is. Yep. We, and, have, uh, two, we have two schools, two schools in the North Atlantic district. The other one is in Virginia. When you were there, was there, did we still have a school in uh, Delaware? No, that closed, um, I think, one year before I got there, maybe two. Okay. Yeah, we I think some... that at one, at one point there were maybe five or six schools on the East Coast, but I, that, that's an approximation. Yeah. So what was uh, Maryland like? Uh, Maryland was a, an amazing experience. Uh, we, we really loved it there. Um, we were in Prince George's County, um, which is to the east of, of DC, a very, very affluent neighborhood. Um, a lot of people with, uh, government jobs. Um, and then, you know, it was an outreach school. I've, I've only ever served in schools where a vast, vast majority of the kids are not members of the church. So they were doing outreach there, but doing it from a tuition standpoint, um, but still trying to do outreach into the community and grow the school, um, and it was definitely another cross-cultural experience as well. Um, but yeah, we, we really enjoyed our time out there. It was, a it was a smaller school, you know, kind of had the more traditional setup with the two grades. Actually, when we got there, there were three teachers, uh, and by God's grace, by the end, we, you know, we had added a couple called workers and the school had grown a little bit. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a great experience and I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, the, his, the history side of things. So being out in that area near DC and uh, on the East Coast, where there's a little bit uh, a little bit older history, it was really fun. We had a good time. In what way was it cross cultural? Uh, so back then, so this was in the you know 2010 2011. 
uh, Prince George's County was, um, and maybe still is, the most affluent um, majority African-American community in the United States. Uh, so it was a really, uh, about half of the people there uh, were African-American, and then there was just a, a hodgepodge of people. So Ryan, you mentioned before about you know trying to connect your church with your school and vice versa, and I actually talked to you oh, a week or so ago, just asking you of what you guys do, so we can kind of adopt some of those same things down here at our school in Racine. So, what are some of the things that you, as a principal, along with your two pastors, do to connect those students and, I think, more importantly, the families? to Mount Lebanon Church. I, and the reason I'm asking is for those, for our listeners, I think it's very easy for us to have, well, it's not easy to have a school or a preschool or anything like that, but it's easy to forget about the mission like uh, the three of us have been talking about of connecting these students and their families to means of grace ministry in the church. We can become very myopic and just focus on the school, whether it's your school, our school, Jeremy's high school, and forget about connecting these families to the church at large. So that's why I wanted to see pick your brain on what do you guys do? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think the the biggest thing is being relational. It's all about relationships and building relationships with families and with kids. Um, expressing an excitement and joy that they're actually walking in the building. Um, smiling, shaking hands and, and just being a really, really welcoming place. You got to have the relationship. Um, and, and you got to be genuine with that. And then, then there's like kind of the program side, like how do we actually get our school families and church families into the same space at the same time? And that's where kind of early in our discussion, I mentioned like, we're willing to try anything. Uh, you know, we just bought uh, giant bounce houses, two giant bounce houses that we're going to put up and we're going to let kids come and bounce on bounce houses while the parents can hang out and, and eat together. Um, we do parent events where we have people come in and host different events uh, to present whatever it is our parents are looking for, uh, different topics. And then we, we start and end that with a short devotion and prayer. We invite our school families and then we invite our school families were members of our church to be there intentionally rubbing elbows with one another. Um, so we try all sorts of different things um, to be part of the community. Um, we kind of have a couple of things, a couple of like models is we want to be a community for the community. So what we believe, um, what we really believe is when a parent and a family worship at the same place, socialize at the same place and our kids go to the same school where those three things intersect. Um, that's where you have like the village uh, raising, uh, raising the kids together. You know what I mean? And there's something really powerful when you have a child who sees their teachers Monday through Friday, and then that child's teacher worships with the parents on Sunday or is in a connect group, small group Bible study. Uh, so we're trying to create that as much as possible. Um, and then, we're okay. Um, and we kind of wrestle with this every year. What's working, what's not. We try to measure things as much as possible. Who's coming? What was the turnout? What do we think were the barriers for people getting engaged in that way? We want to start with uh, transactions and hopefully turn that into transformation through the gospel, right? So a transaction is come and hang out 
and throw a, a ball to dunk take at the principal while he's there. And then that's just a transaction. We're in the same place interacting with each other. And we pray that God blesses the conversations we have with the parents. Um, and through the Holy Spirit, maybe um, faith is faith is planted or or it's uh, watered. And, and, and that's what we're trying to do. But uh, there is no magic bullet. It's, it's all, it all goes back to relationships. Yeah. With that relationship thing. The reason I, I called you last week is we just had a meeting uh, with me and a couple other teachers trying to figure out what we can do uh, when we have kids singing in our church. Because uh, we've got the unique thing where we've got, you have two campuses. We have three campuses uh, for our school. We have two churches that operate our school. And then we have yeah. one of those churches that has two, two campuses. So, uh, you know, like you were talking about uh, maybe your, your parents see, worshiping with their teachers. Well, the teachers may be at one of six services on a Sunday or a Monday. And so that makes it hard. And our, our teacher that was talking with me said, you know, in the past we've had kids singing, then we just kind of forget about it. And it's an afterthought. And this year we want to really be intentional. Like you said, building relationships that we want to have some kind of program there where they're uh, the kids and the, and the parents are coming, not just to sing, but we're going to have some kind of fellowship afterward. We're going to have some kind of activity afterwards. We're going to have maybe a, uh, a project for them to all work on. And we're still working on all those things, but it's trying to make, it more than just a one hour commitment on a Sunday morning. Yeah. Yeah. And all that stuff is hugely important. And what you mentioned, there are some of the things we're trying to do too. You know, we talked, I talked a little bit about our, our vision, which is disciples, heirs, and leaders. And we have what we call DHL Sundays where all of our kids, or we try to get all of our kids plugged in to the service in some way, shape or form. So that might be ushering, um, it might be coloring the bulletins. It might be serving the snacks afterwards. They're singing. They're doing the uh, collecting the offering, doing the scripture readings, and then afterwards, we always plan a community service event. So we we after the service, everybody kind of makes their way out. We have a snack, and then we do something that's the community oriented. Uh, you know, we made like fifteen hundred sack lunches or um, a community cleanup. So that there's, a, again, that opportunity because like people want to do things together. And I think that's how relationships are formed, right? If you just put two people in the room and say formal relationship, it's really hard. But if you're doing something together, uh, raking leaves or making turkey sandwiches, then you strike up a conversation. And it's, I think it's more genuine and real. Yeah. You know, Ryan, you said that there's no silver bullet, no magic bullet. Uh, but I'm going to have to disagree with that. Because uh, I think there's something you mentioned, which was having the principal, uh, people throwing balls to get the principal in a dunk tank. <laughs> except, except I think in our case, it should be the pastor, the pastor of the congregation. If we throw balls and get him in a dunk tank, I think that would probably bring in uh, lots of lots of spectators. Yeah, for sure. And I tell you what, if you if you put up a bounce house, I mean, there you will instantly have people just wander off the streets towards bounce houses. It's, it's pretty incredible. Um, 
but yeah, doing all sorts of those things. And you, you say that that stuff is so simple, but what are you uh, with through all those things? What are you trying to do? You're trying to, you know, make a transaction and hopefully work that into a transformational conversation because it has the gospel as part of it. But the, but the emphasis is on the pastor getting hit in a dunk tank. That's, yeah. that's what I want to see. <laughs> that's where he's, that's where he's getting at, Ryan. He just wants yeah. me at the church picnic to be in a dunk tank with ice cold water. That's all he wants. Yeah, I, I, th- I think that's a huge first step. In, and pastors are like, that's not like the first bullet point on your harvest strategy. It probably should be. Yeah. I, and we got a, I got a dunk tank guy if you need one. Okay, well, that's fantastic. Uh, I am not a swimmer, so I would ha- probably have to be rescued every time I went down. Other, yeah, other than that'd be fine. And it is freezing, man. I tell you, when I, it, 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 we're laughing about it, but it is actually no fun. It is freezing cold water from the hose, and we always do it in spring, so it's not like it's 80 degrees out. And so we only we put everybody in for 20 minutes, but at the end of the 20 minutes, you're ready to be done. Um, but for some reason, the line gets long when the principal gets in the dunk tank. Yeah. I, I will work on that for you, Jeremy. We will. <laughs> Now, that, that will be like Ryan said, that will be first bullet point in our new VTO that we're doing for the church and school. So thanks <laughs> for that. That's where the real, real evangelism work gets That's right. <laughs> uh, Jeremy, you want to get into the gospel lesson? Sure. The gospel uh, comes from Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 13. Someone from the crowd said to him, that is Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, man, who appointed me to be a judge or an arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, watch out and be on guard against all greed, because a man's life is not measured by how many possessions he has. He told them a parable. The land of a certain rich man produced very well. He was thinking to himself, what will I do? Because I do not have anywhere to store my crops. He said, this is what I will do. I will pull down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and goods. And I will tell my soul, soul, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this night your soul will be demanded from you. Now who will get what you have prepared? That is how it will be for anyone who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So Ryan, before I ask this first question, I was on a bike ride with my oldest daughter, Abby, this morning, and we were talking about titles, kind of like the three of us were talking about before we started recording. And do you have, because she works in a, a school in Kenosha, public school. So do you have your students in your school calling you and others bruh? No, uh, no, okay. no. Yeah. I mean, but we're pretty intentional about that too. Um, okay. I, how we address one another. So I think if you get out ahead of it, uh, but, but I, reason- do ha- I do, I do have three sons who seem okay. to be calling me that more than I would like. <laughs> there you go. Well, the, the reason I, the reason I, I ask it, it seems weird is because as Jeremy was reading it, as Jesus says, man who appointed me, you know, in today's culture, if he'd say, bruh, who appointed me to be judged, but I don't think Jesus would say it like that. Uh, anyhow, Ryan, <laughs> Jesus receives a request for arbitration. 
uh, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So how does Jesus turn that request into a teaching moment? And, and I wanted you specifically, because you've been teaching for a long time, and both as a teacher and as a principal, how does Jesus do that, turn just a, a simple request for arbitration into a teaching moment? Yeah, I, I really appreciate this question um, because what, what he goes to is he, I, I think like a, from terms of a teaching or from a doctor's perspective, like there's this symptom and it, we can address the symptom, but we're not getting to the heart of the matter. And that's what Jesus does right away here. You know, he, he says, what's at the heart of this question? And of course, um, being Jesus, he knew exactly what's at the heart of it. And then he goes on to discuss like the, the greed aspect of this, you know, and I, and I was reading the start of this and I really appreciate the fact that we got two pastors here. Cause I wrote down some questions I had for you guys. Um, but I, I, when I read this, is it safe to assume that this guy's dad had just died? Cause wouldn't that be when the inheritance is divided? Oh, that's, I, don't yeah, that's, dad would, I don't think the dad would still be alive. Maybe it was even, he had been long dead, either just dead or maybe even had been long dead is what I've always kind of thought. Yeah. Okay. Cause I was wondering like, how, how quickly would this be coming after like a dad died? And, and then after, you know, going through the, uh, the death in the family, this guy is immediately getting into dividing the, the inheritance, but, uh, to, but to answer your question, uh, Pastor Darling, like he, he just transitions it. Like here's the symptom and let's get to the heart of the matter, which in this case, um, Jesus read it as being greed in the man's heart. Well, to Ryan's question, Jeremy, uh, I hadn't thought of it this way until Ryan asked the question. If uh, I'm wondering if this is then a younger brother, and as a younger brother, he's not he's not entitled to inheritance, correct? It would only the inheritance would go to the eldest son. Yeah. Um... I suppose maybe just common courtesy or it was like a common practice to, even though the eldest son had that right, um, that maybe there was still a common custom of just, you give a little bit at least to, to your younger siblings. And he was, he was saying, you know, he should at least give me a little piece of the inheritance. Yeah. Cause I, I tried that on my, my parents when they were working on their will and I said, you know, I'm the eldest, I'm the son, so I get the inheritance and I'm willing to split it instead of thirds. I'll take half and then the other two sisters, they can divide up the, the last 50%. And my dad thought about that and he goes, I don't think your sisters will like that too much. And I said, <laughs> I said dad, I'm teasing. I, a third is a third for each of us. We don't even need anything, but... Uh, Jeremy, then Jesus talks about the parable of the rich fool. Uh, if our lives don't, do not consist of our possessions, of what do they consist? Because he says uh, a man's life is not measured by how many possessions he has. So if, it's not, if we're not going to base our worth on our possessions, what do we base our worth on? Uh, you know what just hit me as we were talking about the a man's father earlier uh, and uh, the, the two brothers that are bickering had a father who died, who died as, as Ryan pointed out. And uh, then Jesus goes on here to talk about a rich man dying 
and uh, leaving leaving his money. And I just wonder if uh, I, I, when you when you look at that in the context of who's who's listening, who was just talking, and what were they saying, and then Jesus tells this parable. I wonder if that really hit close to home for them, if or if even maybe maybe was Jesus even prophesying like uh, your your dad who just died was the rich fool who had the big bumper crop um, and, he, and he raised two sons who now care only about possessions. Um, to answer your question, it would be uh, probably with the word soul in verse 19, the EHV translates, I think other translations say, and I will tell myself, but there really is another word there. Uh, and it, it would be good to say like, and I will tell myself, self, you have many goods stored up. Uh, and he's, he's basically showing that he doesn't care too much about his spirit, his, his soul, his spiritual welfare. And it's, it's more so the body that's ruling over the soul and, uh, and telling the soul what to do. Soul, you've got a lot of good things now. Uh, whereas if what, what Jesus would see as riches, it would be uh, wealth of your, of your spiritual nature. Yeah, and I was out visiting our homebound members the last few days, and it's interesting as you you talk to people who are older, and like one of them said today, you know, growing old is not for wimps. Uh, you know, he's there. He's recently had his teeth pulled out. Uh, he's talking to me, but he's not looking at me because uh, he's got injections in his eyes. He can't. He's almost. Well, he's probably legally blind. He's walking with a cane. Here's a man uh, who's not really concerned about possessions anymore. He's he's focusing on eternal life. And that's, I think, what Jesus is getting at here is the things here, they're temporary. And yet we make such a big deal out of them. And yet they're going to be gone. Uh, what's the, the possessions that we need to be focused on are forgiveness, new life, salvation, and so forth. But Ryan, why is greed so dangerous? I'm going to ask Jeremy the same question, but I want you to answer it based on the students and their age level that you're ministering to. How do you see greed in your grade schoolers? And then Jeremy, after Ryan answers that, how do you see it with your high schoolers? And how can that greed be so dangerous for, you know, say like a seventh grader or a, an 11th grader? That's a great question. I actually, uh, when I teach, I teach uh, eighth grade and fifth grade word of God and uh, catechism classes. And I always, uh, I, I say greed is wanting a good thing too much. Um, when we, when we take that good thing and we put it above God, it's, it's making a good thing, a God thing. Um, because I, th I think it's natural, right? That we all want something, especially if you're a kid, right? You're, you're looking forward to your birthday, Christmas. And I don't think it's it's probably wrong to say you shouldn't want things. Uh, that's a natural thing. But to understand when our happiness or our definition of who we are and our identity is found in what we do or don't have or what we're striving to get, uh, I think that's when greed starts to to creep in. Jeremy? I was thinking something similar of it. I'm glad that you said uh, wanting a good thing, uh, because the example that I kind of thought of with the high school level was, um, I don't know how to put it, maybe honor 
something like honor or, or reputation that mm-hmm. um, people, you know, young, young people or teenagers uh, and adults too, for that matter, are very uh, covetous of looking good in front of other people. And you never want to look foolish. You never want to look like you made a mistake. And so uh, you even end up wasting a lot of time going out of the way to let everybody know I'm not an idiot or, you know, uh, I, oh, I made that mistake because of these circumstances. And it's really not my, like, you want to look good. And that's, that's, that's kind of being greedy for uh, honor, which is a good thing. But uh, when you, when you prioritize that even above, uh, well, learning, for example, um, then you, you don't end up learning much because you, you don't realize or you, you don't recognize your own need for um, growth. I thought, I thought what was interesting, um, going back to the section here from Luke, is that the guy who asked Jesus the question was striving to get things. But the guy in the parable had everything. You know, so they're, they're kind of in two different lots. So it's interesting, like greed, greed can be something that both the one who has plenty and the one that is, in their mind is lacking. Greed can be a problem no matter your lot in life. Um, and I, I just think it, I wrote down this. Can I throw something? That, can I, yeah. I yeah. just mention the uh, affluent community that uh, in Maryland that you worked with, I, I bet you did you did you kind of get that sense like still there's always a striving and a, a hunger to to get more even though you already have a lot oh yeah but i mean i see that myself too i mean um yeah i mean i think you see that everywhere uh i see that myself too just a lack of satisfaction i i was reading through this and i, I you've probably heard this quote before i wrote down this quote in the notes uh, I, you ever heard this thing from jim carrey he said this you like the famous actor, you know, the, uh, one of his finest work, Pet Detective. Um, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Hmm. Um, and there's a guy who's like, obviously, that guy can do anything he wants and buy anything he wants. But here's this really, this guy who's kind of like the rich man in the parable who has it all. Um, and is kind of talking back and that people say, you know, this is, this is not it you're not going to find the answer and what you can accomplish or what you can buy. And I think that's what greed is, right? It's the idea that if I get it or if I had it, then I would be complete. And of course that's an empty well for sure. Yeah. And I appreciate what you guys are talking about with that. And, you know, I'll take where you guys are with the grade schoolers and high schoolers and then move it on to adults. And I see the same thing with adults as they're, looking for a good thing, like more money, uh, you know, a bigger house and so forth. Those are good things. God gives us those things, but then they miss out on the spiritual aspects because they're worship, they're, they're working so hard and they're not worshiping or, you know, they want their kids involved in everything. And so they're riding horses and they're playing basketball and then they're going to swimming lessons and then they're so exhausted, there's no family time. Uh, there's no time to, to pray and eat together and have family devotions or worship. Uh, and so then they're missing out on the really good things. Uh, and, and then they, 
they have all of that, you know, they're, they're striving for, and then they end up losing their kids later on uh, because they didn't build up the family relationship. Spiritually speaking. Well, uh, I think both ways. That's what I was going to get is they can, they can fill up their lives with so much stuff that they just lose them to their children. And now the children are focused on the things of this world, but they, you can also lose them to the faith because they were focused on all these earthly things. They, they never were taught about the value of the heavenly things. And I think that's the greed. It kind of gets back to uh, what Ryan was saying before about the strategy for mission for evangelism is uh, really it's, it's about relationships and, and about, uh, treasuring treasuring your connection to other people yeah and you know the, there's a lot of, there's a tremendous amount of pressure on kids and families right now and i know that you know social media is probably another topic but right now i, I think that's one of the biggest pressures that we get from the social media we world we, world we live in where you're constantly comparing yourself to others nonstop. And I always tell people like I, I, I got off of Facebook um, a while ago because you, what, what pictures do you see of people on Facebook? It's always their vacation pictures. So what do you start to assume? Every single person in the world is on vacation and I'm not. Uh, but the reality is it's not, there's just one person on vacation and you'll have your turn too. But that comparison game might be kind of like one of the the causes for, for that drive, that greedy drive too. I wanted to, to end this portion on the greed by just sharing a, a three Proverbs and then what Paul writes on First Timothy. So Proverbs 11, whoever trusts his wealth will fall, but righteous people will flourish like green plants and a stubborn fool will be a slave to a person with a wise heart. Proverbs 15, 27, someone who is greedy for gain brings trouble to his own household, but a person who hates bribes will live. Proverbs 28, 25, a greedy person stirs up strife, but a person who trusts in the Lord will prosper. And then St. Paul gave some wise words to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, beginning with verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we certainly cannot take anything out. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be satisfied. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge them into complete destruction and utter ruin. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evils. By striving for money, some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pains. Uh, Ryan, with this text too, uh, the rich man's plan to more efficiently store his possessions. That seems sound. It sounds like good advice, you know, buying insurance, uh, having a 401k, having a good retirement portfolio. So what's the fundamental flaw in his perspective? That's a great question. Um, I, I think it at the root of this is a, like a, a selfishness and a self-satisfaction um, that really aren't actually there in, in the possessions and in the money he would acquire. Um, and I, I think that there's a mind, there's a mindset right here on earthly things and not on things above. Um, because I, I think we like, if we're going to battle greed, you can't say to somebody, stop being greedy. 
that person has to understand how rich they already are in Christ, right? Because it's kind of like an addiction. You, you, if you're, you, you can't just stop an addiction. You got to replace it with something. Um, so I think it's a, it's just a mind that's set on earthly things. So to that, uh, Jeremy, and I like the way that Ryan put it of replacing the one thing with the other thing. So if you want to talk about what is, what do we need to replace uh, all this greed for earthly things with what does Christ and his kingdom have to offer? I, I think, uh, everything, um, it, it's, uh, where I would see like the, the, I, I guess a good way you could kind of play a psychological game with the rich man is, is to say, well, what did you, what, what did you have before the big barns? Like the big barns in themselves are not bad, but uh, it, why is it that you're suddenly saying now uh, you can take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry? Um, I, I guess it's it's pointing out what you already have, um, and and seeing that uh, you have every reason to celebrate, and not the least of which is the forgiveness of sins in Jesus. And so I had an interesting conversation with a mom today that uh, this couple with two kids came to our our worship service on Sunday, and it was just fantastic. They stuck around for a half hour afterwards. I had I knew they and other visitors were there, and so I gave the uh, gave an explanation of closed communion that we only invited those who are members of the Wisconsin Synod and Water of Life. If you're not a member, we ask you not to take communion. And they weren't upset at all. They were, they talked to me afterwards. Oh, absolutely. We shouldn't be taking communion. We're not ready for that. They were, they had their five-year-old son baptized about five years ago. And now they're, the mom was talking to me today, setting up a date for baptism. And she said, well, we had to have her baptized. She's two. We wanted to have it years ago, but life just got in the way. And uh, they're setting up adult confirmation classes. We're meeting to have their kids in, in school and so forth. And it's just really cool. And the way she said that life got in the way, the rich man in this parable, life got in the way. And yet uh, she and her husband, whatever the Holy Spirit did in bringing them to our church at just the right time, you know, they are all in on the worldly, uh, on the, on the heavenly things and replacing the worldly things that have taken over in their lives the last few years. And it's just a great example, I think, in this parable. Uh, do you guys have anything else you want to bring up with this text? No, I, I just really appreciate you sharing that account because that's the, going back like to the, the, the school that is set on outreach, that's the, that's the exciting part, right? When you get to sit back and you see the Holy Spirit working these amazing changes in people's life and the, putting this desire to be connected to uh, the word and sacraments. And, and you say, where does this come from? Where does this come from? And it's not the programs, you know, it, it's, it's the, it's the gospel. Uh, it's the Holy spirit working on people's hearts. And, um, we're really blessed to see some of our kids when we start talking about baptism, just be so persistent with their, their families to say, we want to get, I want to get baptized. I want to get baptized. Well, who's putting that desire on their heart. That's the Holy spirit working. Um, I appreciate when I hear cool stuff like that. People come to church and have an opportunity to witness like that. Fantastic. Uh, Jeremy, you want to get into the epistle lesson? 
Sure. This is Colossians chapter 3. Paul writes, Therefore, because you were raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your, minds on, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So put to death whatever is worldly in you, sexual immorality, uncleanness, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. It is because of these things that the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. You too once walked in these things when you were living in them, but now you too are to rid yourselves of all these, of all of these wrath, anger, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to each other since you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is continually being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but rather Christ is all and is in all. So Jeremy, and I think this text fits very well with the gospel lesson. So Jesus' words about grieve leave us with an unanswered question that a person's life does not consist in the abundance of their possessions. Using Paul's words, what does it consist of then? Uh, things above. Um, is, is what uh, are you are you aiming at a certain verse here? Oh, yeah, I, I'm looking at like verse three. Yeah, your your life is hidden with Christ and God. What does that mean? But it's one of those above things. Mm -hmm. um, it it's above in the sense that not that you should look up in the sky, but in the sense that it's beyond our understanding. It's something that you can't see or grasp with your physical senses. Uh, and that uh, when when Christ was raised from the dead, well, when, when Christ was crucified, rather, our old self was crucified. The real you was crucified with him. And then uh, what Paul says in Romans uh, 6 is that the real you also came out of the grave with Christ. Uh, so then when Jesus ascended into heaven and the cloud hid him from the disciples' sight. Uh, that also was hiding the real you from visible sight. Uh, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Yeah, and there he's, he's talking about uh, leading us into that baptism uh, as we die to our sin and are raised with life in Christ. Ryan, this hit me... Uh, when Jeremy was reading this text, I hadn't thought of it before. He says in verse, Paul says in verse five, so put to death whatever is worldly in you, sexual immorality, uncleanness, lust, evil, desire, and greed, which is idolatry. So then how is greed idolatry? Or I, maybe Jeremy is, when uh, it's translated, which is idolatry, is that referring just to greed or is it to that whole statement? I, it's dealing with, I guess it, you end up six of one, half a dozen of the other, because <laughs> I, greed is, greed is uh, that inordinate, what we were talking about before, inordinate desire for something in your heart. It's an attitude of the heart. And then that ends up overflowing in 
whatever outward manifestations you see earlier in the verse, sexual immorality, uncleanness, lust, evil desire. So I, I think you're safe either way. Okay. So then either I, I way, a, Ryan, a, <laughs> uh, how, how is the whole statement or just greed? How does that become idolatry? Yeah, I think we, we hit on this up above too, but it's, it's taking a, a, in this case, something that's not good and put it in our hearts above God. Um, so it's a, it's a priority list that is out of whack. Um, and so whenever you have something in your heart that is outranking God uh, and who you are in Christ and the death and resurrection and, and the glory you get to share in him, that's a, that's a form of idolatry. I, I had a question for Ryan. Um, so in the last lesson, we heard about the uh, rich man who, whose life would be taken from him. And then here in verse three, it says, you died. Uh, I, have you ever seen a dead body or like, do you have any stories about dead bodies? <laughs> uh, well, that's a really interesting segue in the middle of this conversation. Have I ever seen a dead body? Yes. I have been to a funeral before. Is that what you mean? Oh, there you go. Or are yeah. you trying to get, are you trying to get at something more there? I was just, I was just trying to craftily set up a, a story, but. Uh... Yeah. You know, I, we've had some incidences near our school where, where we've had to respond to um, some situations where unfortunately somebody had lost their life, but that's probably a, a story for a, a different podcast. <laughs> that was really good really good try though very good that try. was a great segue jeremy i love it i've made my I, pastor happy that, that making my pastor happy is uh, a mission accomplished yeah but i'm really glad that you made that connection between the two because i never thought about that before that in the in the first one, in the first section from Luke, somebody's that, that this night. And it doesn't seem like he was a believer. Yeah, but here, death in Colossians 3 is such an incredibly uplifting thing that that it died with Christ and we are now alive in Christ and we will rise again in Christ. Like that, that connection through death. So it's kind of interesting how the same concept in these two different sections of scripture can take a totally different feel. So, so Jeremy, you touched on this before uh, when you mentioned Romans, uh, you know, that we need to put to death our acts of our sinful nature. So how do we do this? Uh, I didn't cobble to remember a baptism. Uh, Paul's reminding us of it here when he said you died. And uh, now it, I, I've heard the comparison that the old sinful flesh, the old self is like, a, what was it, a cat or something? It's, it's some kind of an animal that you, for some reason, you want to drown like a, a alley cat. And uh, but that that guy learned that guy knows how to swim. He keeps coming back up no matter how much you drown him every day. 
Uh, I'm sorry. I don't know why. If I'm sorry to any cat lovers out there, I don't know why a cat came to mind first. <laughs> but uh, but it's 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 believing. It's believing, and what does believing mean? It doesn't mean some kind of a feeling or emotion that you work up inside yourself. It means uh, recalling and reviewing the historic facts of Christ's earthly ministry, his death, his resurrection, and also the historic facts of your being grafted into Christ through baptism um, and, and through uh, hearing his word and the sacraments. Uh, that, that's how those things get put to death. Yeah, I had an interesting conversation with a visitor in, uh, a couple of weeks ago. This is a, a different kind of visitor because he showed up like 15 minutes before the service, not like one or two minutes before. And so we had time to talk about it. He had messed up really badly in his life. And I was able to talk to him about you know, Lutheran worship and the whole point of coming to church. And then uh, I didn't get into the dying to sin, but you give God your sins and then he gives you forgiveness. And then you're able to you know, spend the rest of the worship service praising God because you've, your sins are gone. And I related to him a story about one of our members uh, a number of years ago in counseling, she had told me that uh, she had cheated on her husband. And she said, and during our counseling, I come to church and I beg for forgiveness every time I'm there. And I, I told her, I said, that's the saddest thing I've ever heard. I said, the, the moment you committed that sin and you beg for forgiveness the first time, Jesus took it away. It's gone. And you don't need to keep on uh, asking for forgiveness. You know, the key is you've died to that sin and you've been raised to a new life in Christ. And she needed to hear that even though she'd been raised Lutheran her entire life. Uh, and I told that story to our visitor who that's maybe the first time he stepped in a Lutheran church. That whole point of that sin being repented of, you know, died to and then gone. Uh, it's just so important for our people to hear. I wouldn't but, want anybody to think like there's something wrong with you if you keep getting hammered with guilt for past sins. That That's a very normal thing. Uh, and that's a trick Satan loves to throw at us is, is keep reminding us of sins that we've already received forgiveness for many times over. Uh, but that's just the, the generosity of God that uh, he says, OK, yeah, you probably shouldn't be bothered by this, but you you are you're still forgiven today even as you come and ask for that yep that one is still forgiven uh even though it was forgiven the last time i said it to you as well so with that then jeremy uh, why why do we need to hear the wrath of god that's going to come on the sins that paul lists you know because we live in a culture that doesn't want it does it can't it's not about wrath it's you can't even say no to someone. Why do we need to be keeping uh, keep on preaching about the wrath of God? It's funny that you mentioned the culture uh, and how they don't want to hear anything about wrath because they've 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 got plenty of wrath of their own, and uh, they want to they they want to say no to a lot of things. It's just a different set of morals and rules than uh, than than we have. But we why do we need to keep hearing about it? Uh, because uh, we we have that um, we have that cat that won't stay under the water. Um, it's our sinful self, 
and that sinful self keeps uh, keeps popping up, and um, uh, we we our new self actually wants to be warned. I, I need to know what where are my pitfalls, where are my weak, you know, my Achilles heels that uh, it, I need to watch out for, and so that's why even though we are a new cre- a creation in, in the Holy Spirit, we still need to hear that uh, there there's this threat of sin uh, crouching at your door and uh, don't let that get the best of you yeah because feeding the sinful nature it never works it's always going to be greedy for more it uh, that's why you have to say no to it and not just say no you have to kill it you and the way you kill it is uh, through baptism but you also kill it by reminding it of the wrath of god uh, that's coming and so you want to have the glory of God that's also coming uh, through forgiveness. Last question I have for you, Ryan, is our current culture, because we're just talking about that, is all about race, gender, economic status, victimhood, and so on. So how do you talk to someone who's caught up in that kind of life about where true life is found? Yeah, I think that's kind of takes us back to the start of our conversation. Uh, You have to be actually in the same place at the same time with people who are struggling with these things. There's definitely a tendency to silo up with people who will say the same thing that I say in my own personal little echo chamber. So first, I think you got to be forming relationships with people and they're all around us because I'm one of them too who's struggling with, you know, the battle of our culture um, and then in the context of that relationship, that's where you, you bring them Jesus. Uh, because, you know, if you, if you're chasing after any of those things, you just listed off, you're going to find out that it, that it's not going to give you the identity that you need. Um, and the, and the identity that you were designed for. Um, so I think, I think it's just talking to people and reminding them and being confident in who you are in Jesus. And that we've already hit on that so many times going back to who we are through the death and resurrection. Um, and I think, um, I think that's just the first thing you need to do care. Uh, there's a saying in teaching rules without a relationship leads to a rebellion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you just bring the rules, people are going to plug their ears. Um, bring the relationship and then you, and then you bring the greatest relationship you have in your life and share that with people too. Jeremy, you want to add anything to that? No, that was great. Okay. That's a great, I'm starting a school year too. So I, I like hearing rules without a relationship is a recipe for rebellion. It's good. There you go. Yeah. And the only thing I would add to it is that uh, our culture is all about self. And, you know, we need to teach people about the new self. It's all being renewed in a selfless God. That true, uh, true life isn't found in glorifying ourselves. It's not in pleasuring our old self. True life is found in glorifying God through the new selves that he made us to be. All right. Well, good job, guys. This is Michael Zarling with Ryan Finkbeiner and Given the Green Lightning. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wants the water of life take it as a gift. 
Stay thirsty, my friends, then drink deeply from the water of life.